It's always game day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. We'd love having you on board. If you like what you're listening to, why don't you give us a couple stars? And, of course, please, please subscribe to the It's Always Game Day in Cleveland feed because we love having you on board and we appreciate it. Have had a lot of good feedback over the last couple of weeks, especially friends that seem to be driving around town love listening to the podcast, So, especially when they're not listening between 10 and 2. That's just a public service message. I'm just letting you know. So let's move on to a little bit more about the stadium as we're calling this the stadium show. Um, Daryl, how did we get to this point? How did we get here? Well, this is a process that began years ago when the Haslam's actually bought the team. They, uh, one of the things that the NFL wanted to see was the stadium modernized because to be perfectly honest about it, when that stadium opened, it was obsolete the day the doors opened. Um, and part of the reason was, uh, as we know, it was a rush job. You had a lot of politicians that were trying to save some face after the Browns left. They wanted to get the team back on the field as soon as possible. Uh, three years basically elapsed. It was a three-year hiatus. So basically in three and a half years, they tore down the old stadium, designed and built a new stadium. And by some miracle of God, even when they were hiring scouts in July with kickoff set for early September, the Browns took the field in 1999. So uh, a lot of corners had to be cut because as that stadium was originally being built, it was starting to cost a small fortune that they did not budget for and they did not plan for. To one point, Al Lerner, the late owner of the Browns, who was awarded the expansion franchise, also put Art Modell on the plane to Baltimore, but we won't go there. Right. Um, they went ahead and uh, took out the escalators from the design to save money. And then Al Lerner basically realized, no, we kind of need some escalators, so I'm going to get out the checkbook and I'm going to pay for them myself. And then right. also he paid for some additional suites and other enhancements to the stadium because so many corners were being cut and stuff was being chopped off the design because costs of it were exploding. So that was problem number one. Problem number two is, is – even with, and I will give the Haslam's a lot of credit, I thought that they did an outstanding job with that $125 million renovation that they did in 2014 and 2015. They reconfigured both of the end zone upper decks, put in the new uh, state-of-the-art scoreboards and sound system. They did some stuff on the service level, added a couple of clubs, cleaned some stuff up, made it basically so that when you walked in the building, you knew what NFL team played there. It was the Browns because for years that place was a sterile concrete dungeon. And the only way you knew the Browns played there was the paint on the field. And there was a sign outside the Browns locker room. That was pretty much it. Oh, and the seats were orange. That's why I call it the great pumpkin on the lake because it looks like a pumpkin, <laughs> but that's it. So they kind of, you know, added some personality into the building and some fan-friendly experience. And that is something that going forward, the team would like to continue to do is enhance it. You know, the concourses are still pretty tight, even though it is, a, you know, the building's not all that old by, you know, standards of the previous stadium that lasted from 1932 all the way to the end of 1995 there. But um, it just it it wasn't designed very well. When you look at Progressive Field, you look at Rock and Mortgage Fieldhouse, less the arena than the ballpark. The reason Progressive Field is so pristine is because they went through so many sets of blueprints designing that. And so 
I just think it's so smart for the Browns to be going through what they're going through right now. And that is having these conversations behind the scenes, doing these studies. Hey, this is, you know, this is what the building is going to be able to do. This is what we can do to the building to modernize it and make it better and extend the life of it. Or, you know, maybe they find out, you know what, this thing's falling apart. It's going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars just to fix the thing structurally. Forget about making it nice and pretty for fans. It might not even be worth salvaging it. And then also, too, if the lakefront development doesn't happen, then it really doesn't become worth salvaging beyond the life of the lease. Because that's a big part of this is the Browns would like the fans to have the similar experience that Guardians fans have and Cavalier fans are able to have. There's stuff to do besides just going to the parking lot, sitting on your tailgate, pounding a six-pack, walking to the stadium for the game, and then as soon as the game is over or the Browns are down by 21 points in the fourth quarter, walking out of the place, back to your car, and driving home. They, they want to create a more immersive fan experience. So that is part and parcel to everything that's going on right now. And I, look, the more blueprints they can draw, the more plans they can kind of come up with and ideas and plan A, plan B, plan C, I think the better off Browns fans are going to be with their game day experience beyond that 2028 season. All right, let's talk about the blog, the Indian Ohio blog that started this whole thing over the weekend. I, it, there were some parts of that that were just to me, first of all, I felt like I've read that before from them. And, and did I, Daryl? Am I nuts? Didn't they well, already? No, I mean, again, the stadium stuff has been going on since the Haslam's bought the team. Not that they were looking to build a new one, but the assessment, okay, what are we walking into? What do we have to work with here? Okay. Right. What, what are our, you know, there is a business element here and that's not a criticism. That's the reality. You know, what are our uh, advanced hospitality options that we can provide uh, fans and, and business people with outside of a suite at the 30 yard line type thing, right. That you see all these new stadiums have, right. Right. So, um, and then obviously the basics of having a, a state-of-the-art video, audio video experience, uh, you know, for fans and, and things like that. So um, the the site stuff that they brought up, okay, by uh, I think it was e between East 13th and East 18th, I believe, that area there next to the, the basically FBI um, Channel Three Mounted Police over there, right between in that area. Yeah. Basically, the muni lot is in front, and right up the, at the top of the hill would be the new stadium. That right. site is not viable. Okay, it's it doesn't not. make any sense. It made no sense to me at all when I was reading that. Zero chance. Channel Three is moving. Look, I realized the Browns relocated a church in Berea so that they could enhance things out there by uh, cross country right. mortgage campus. I get right. that. They're not moving the FBI. They're not moving. Well, there. Uh, I mean, I do give them credit. They did say that there was a part of that where the FBI was looking at trying to move out to the suburbs. Right. But I just can't see Channel Three walking away from their building. No yeah, way. It, it's not. And 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 also too, there's been apartment developed that's happened. Uh, development that's happened in that area too. That that site's not viable. Although it would be great for Slimans. Slimans would be very excited <laughs> if they wanted to move up there. <laughs> they would be thrilled. Um, the area down by the post office, Orange Avenue. Keep that makes mind, sense. It does make sense. It might not be big enough, number one. Number two, keep in mind, that entire area has just recently been completely rebuilt. 
infrastructurally as far as the roads and the inner belt and all that goes. Orange Avenue, the East 9th extension, the East 20, I think it's East 22nd extension. Right. The the exit the ramps. Bridge, all that stuff here, yeah. Now, before that Interbelt project happened, and they replaced one bridge with two because that's the Cleveland way, right? Um, they they could have, uh, you know, gone in that area diagonal from Progressive Field, but you can't do that anymore. That land now has been occupied by the Interbelt, and you there that room no longer exists. So those sites, I don't feel that were mentioned in that blog. I don't feel are very viable for the Browns right now. Although again, I do wonder, you probably could back into the mill. There, I mean, there is land there that I, I, I do think that it would make. I mean, if it if it made sense and it made financial sense, and I think that's something that we haven't right. even talked about yet. That if it did, I, I also the other point that, and I just I remember having a, a conversation with, uh, it was a high ranking official at the Browns. It was just it was, and this is probably about ten regimes ago. So. <laughs> but it was infuriating. It, so if you're trying to figure out who I was talking to, you're not going to be able to. But it, it was infuriating I don't know. I to might. them. Uh, you might get it. But it was infuriating to them that the Browns are like the only team in the NFL that really doesn't have any of their own parking. And yeah, wow. when you think about it, I mean, even at $5 a car in a, in a 70,000-seat stadium, you do the math. Uh, <laughs> and the I, revenue I, I, that's I, not coming to the – to the NFL franchise when so many other NFL franchises are making money on parking. I was at a youth baseball tournament over the weekend. I'm sure that in this four-day tournament, they cleared over 125000 in cars because you had to pay $5 a day, and I'm not kidding. That I mean, it was in wow. Columbus, Berliner Park. Like, I was trying to figure out the math. I was like, you know, unique situations to cars that were coming in. <laughs> you had to pay $5 a day if you were just a regular car. I mean – like the parking money is such simple money for an NFL franchise and the Browns don't see any of it or very well. And, and, and Browns fans should be very, very blessed that you're only paying 20 to 25 to 30 bucks to park in Pittsburgh. Um, fans have to park a mile up the hill from the stadium and they're paying $75 for a spot. Wow. I, I, I know there, uh, I think Dallas charges a hundred dollars to park uh, outside of Jerry world. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, it is. They so, did the last. I know when Ohio State was there for the national championship. I don't think they were charged up, but there were pretty. I mean, hey, the NBA All Star Game here was pretty hefty. I saw sixty, seventy bucks. Man, they were gouging that's what big it was. time. Well, when the Cavaliers with LeBron were in the NBA Finals every year, that's what the downtown lots were were charging too. So, Cleveland has had it pretty good uh, with the the setup, if you will, when it comes to the you know pricing and parking and additional stuff like that obviously if the browns build a new stadium things are going to change but um right now browns fan has no idea how good they have it because the ticket prices for the browns are very very reasonable when you can when you compare them to the rest of the league uh number one and then number two like i said the amenities around the stadium as far as parking expense and that again it is very, very uh, reasonable compared to other cities around the league. But the existing stadium and what's around it, it's starting to fall behind the times. And it also is you know, completely disconnected from downtown. It's basically on an island by itself. There is like 
there's not, nothing really to do on the lakefront on Brown's game days at all. Um, I know the Science Center and the Rock Hall is there, but let's be honest about it. I don't think 70,000 fans are going to the Science Center or the Rock Hall for a football game. So we're, what I'm obviously referencing is dining and other, you know, types of, the, you know, those ancillary experiences. So um, that's why development around this, this land bridge project is so central to, I think, their long-term thinking. If this land bridge stuff doesn't happen, there is zero reason for the Cleveland Browns to stay on the lakefront. That's, by the way, I want to be very clear. That is me talking. That's not anyone... You know, I'm not passing the word for anyone. Like that's from me. Like I, I, there is nothing, no reason for the Browns to remain on the lakefront. So, um, the, they have explored stadium sites though in the past, Andy. They really All have. Right, so let, let's do this. Let's take a quick time out. Let's talk about what you think should happen. I'll tell you what I think should happen. And as always, we'll probably talk about it in our next mailbag show, which will be coming up here uh, shortly at at game day CLE at game day CLE. Uh, you can hit us up there and you tell us what you think should happen. And we'll talk about it on a future show. But when we come back, I want to talk about what we both think should happen and where the Browns should be playing, whether it's on the lakefront or at another site. It's always game day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. The future is next.